Welcome to Level 7, Episode 100. S.H.I.E.L.D., Issues 5 and 6, Operation Sin, Issue 5, and Miscellaneous Comics. Welcome to Level 7. A podcast about Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's a magical place. Hello, Agents. It's episode 100. It's Agent Daniel. But you know what? For 99 episodes, I wasn't alone, and I'm not tonight. Hello. I'm Ben. Ben Avery, and I'm here to talk about comics with you, Daniel. I think it's appropriate. The bad, the ugly? Yeah, yeah, I think it's appropriate. 100 episodes talking about comic book-related TV shows. Why not on the 100th episode do we... Why not talk about comics? They're all MCU-related. They're all related to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, one way or another. And it's not weak relations. It's specifically, we, we have pulled these uh, these comic books and said, yes, this is related to what we talk about on the screen and would be relevant to the interests of fans of said screen adventures. I'm just saying, tonight... If you're an MCU comic completist, you need to be hearing what I'm going to surprise Ben with. Oh, no. You're missing something, young man. I just had shivers go down my spine as I consider what could possibly be coming. You're totally going to be buying a comic this week. You're going to be going, oh, man. And it's not Howard the Duck? Nope. Okay. Because that didn't pan out. I, I, I might have missed something, but it didn't pan out the way they were promoting it. Let's put it that way. So we are here specifically to talk about the S.H.I.E.L.D. comic book. We're here to talk about the Agent Carter comic book. And I'm talking about Night Nurse, which is related to our Daredevil series. And perfect timing for that as well. But before we do that, um, do we have any news Nope. No. Okay. Not well, today. So we're skipping the intelligence report. We'll we'll go straight into the mission report. And at the end of the episode, we are going to have uh, it's not a, a super long, extra long field report, but there are a, lo- a number of emails that came in regarding Agents of Shield, the end of the series, or it's not the series, end of the season, season two, and also having to do with uh, Age of Ultron. And they didn't seem appropriate to talk about in the daredevil episodes that we've already recorded. So as we turn around and as we're doing this, um, we, we may later on in the summer in a daredevil episode, you read a, an age of Ultron mail or, or something like that. But uh, again, episode 100 seems appropriate. This is our opportunity to, to come back talking about shield. And so here we are. Uh, so should we jump into the mission report? Let's do it. Well, let's do it. Mission report. All right, so here we are to talk about the Mission Report, which is comics. And we're talking about episode or issue five and six of S.H.I.E.L.D. And episode or issue, I keep saying episode, issue five of S.H.I.E.L.D., this is where we kind of break away from the done in one. Up until this point, each issue has been a single story that is related to the others. And we're going to find out exactly why uh, here now. 
But um, in this episode, we got Doctor Strange and Coulson, and, and they're kind of uh, the Coulson and, and, and Doctor Strange are are talking about. Uh, he's consulting. Uh, Doctor Strange is consulting. We're finding out that magic users all around the world are being targeted and being attacked with special bullets made out of special metal that's taking them out of play. And the question is, why are all the magic users being taken out of play? And so as they investigate where this bullet might have come from, uh, Scarlet Witch helps them out, uh, who, you know, this issue came out the week, I believe, that Age of Ultron came out. It did. Yeah, so Wednesday this issue comes out. You, looking at the cover, you I don't know if you would know who was in this, especially if, if you're just coming in and saying, hey, I just saw in the movie Age of Ultron. Look, looking at I this cover, you wouldn't say... Fans what? No. I think comic book fans would know. Comic book fans but, might. Because of her crown sort of thing going on. But I don't think the general Age of Ultron fan would have known. Well, if you look at the cover, I mean, it is Scarlet, all right? And there is a witch who's doing some sort of magic-y thing. But... It's also vague enough that just glancing at that, I wouldn't say, oh, it's a Scarlet Witch story. So she's there to help them, though. And we get the team. We get Fitz. We get Simmons. We get May. We get Coulson. And they're all teaming up with Scarlet Witch to find out where did this bullet come from. And their search leads them to a magical doorway. Uh, A magical doorway that... Leads them into a place where there's dark elves, or are they dark elves? No, I thought they were right. trolls. Are they trolls, trolls, dark elves, dwarves, maybe. Tro- uh, trolls or dark elves, one way or another, are going to end up eating a baby. So they're they're bad people, <laughs> and this is uh, there. It's actually like a, a metal working place where they uh, built the or forged the bullets that are being used, and and. The question is then, okay, why are they getting so many of these bullets? And again, we don't get the answer here at the end of this episode, but we do get a pretty awful turnaround because something bad happens. There's a twist and Scarlet Witch gets taken out of play, but I'm not going to tell you how or who, but I will tell you this. After she's taken out of play, one of the last magic users in the world, we find out that there is some sort of infection that is taking out a lot of our bad, our, our, our good guys. They're getting like these weird, their eyes are turning into Cyclops looking eyes. So if you take Cyclops visor that he wears, that's just that thin line that goes over both eyes. Uh, and then imagine that that's actually in the flesh of their eyes. So this is happening, not just to um, the people that are there, and on site, it's happening all around the world. Tony Stark, Beast, Reed Richards. This is why all the magic users are being taken out of play. Although we don't know exactly know until we turn the page, we find out this is a plan by the Dread Dormammu. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. So, yeah, we're going to spoil five a little bit because five and six are linked together. <coughs> That's right. Uh, five ends on a cliffhanger. Six is the resolution. And six is, again, we get Phil, we get Leo, we get Gemma, we get Melinda. They're all in there. And we're finding out that basically this infection 
is taking people of the highest IQs first and then working its way down the IQ chain of uh, through oh, around the world. Now, Coulson is able to get a magical force field around their base of operations. Well, he, he uses Shield's ESP crew. Right. And so they're it's not magic per se. Well, it's science. It's magic enough for me. But it's it's keeping this infection from getting the people in their base or at least getting the mid-level <laughs> intelligence people uh from from getting hit although their geniuses have already been taken out of play. We meet a new character. Uh new to me anyway. Do you know have you ever seen Agent Warwick before? Never seen Agent Warwick. Well, Agent Warwick is in charge of entering magical texts into saying, a computer. If I had met Agent Warwick before, I'm pretty sure I would have remembered him. I love him. I think he's awesome. He is a dude with an owl head. Because and here's here's the quote. If you ever find yourself keyboarding a magic spell, do it slowly. Typos are murder. Basically, he makes mistakes as he's copying these ancient texts. And one time, I think he was turned into a unicorn. And so he's going to help them out. They're going to use technology and magic together. They make a, a pentagram out of uh, cables that are connecting five computers together. And use that to open a portal to Dormammu's world. And then, Daniel... Do you know when I gasped out loud? Yeah, when the Howling Commandos showed up. When the Howling Commandos showed up. Simon, not those Howling Commandos. No, there's two Howling Commandos. Howling Commandos. Yeah. There's two Howling Commandos. There's the Howling Commandos who were, you know, wahoo! And they were fighting World War II. And then there's the Howling Commandos who actually... Look like they could be inclined to actually howl. Uh, Simon Garth, uh, I believe that's the living zombie. Uh, the living mummy. Frankenstein's monster. And. And. Man thing. But, but again, this is playing up on the theme that Coulson knows. He knows the heroes to bring into a situation. So in this case, he picks the dumbest heroes he can find. The absolute lowest intelligence functioning heroes he can get. They're given kind of a psychic push toward fighting the invading people. But they're not going to be uh, infected by this this thing that's you know infecting the, the world anytime soon. And so they're able to basically hold the line as Coulson and his team are going to go through the portal and, and go and confront our evil bad guy. But man thing in a shield comic, not just a shield comic an agents of shield comic. He's there. He's part of Coulson's plan. This is exciting for me. Very, very exciting. But again, that this is what MCU Coulson does in the six one six. He's, he's the, uh, Arranger. He's the man with the plan. He's the man who knows what he needs to know about the people he needs to put in play. And yeah, it's, yeah, and man thing, he's on a few pages. It's, it's nothing, you know, spectacular, 
but it is when you're a swamp monster fan like me just a little bit glorious <laughs> just a little bit so they well, go he- they confront Dormammu and there there's a nice little twist about how they take him out um i mean i'm not spoiling anything to tell you good guys win i don't think i'm spoiling that but how they win there's some good twists here there's some good turns and you have a nice little resolution that ironic ending that you know how can we you know they try and use the bullet against dormammu it doesn't work real well but it shows that it could work. So what are we going to do? How are we going to get this to work with this special metal that takes out magic people? And I love the plan. Coulson brings someone into play. Again, knowing what pieces he has to put on the field. And then they escape. And there's... Again, it's not that they win. It's how they win. And for me, that's, I think, the excitement of the 616 Coulson is just following along how is his plan going to work and what's his contingency plan when it doesn't work. And then the final two panels, well, let's just say, again, just a little bit glorious, a little bit ironic. <laughs> Maybe glorious is overstating it a little bit. but. And then finally, next mission, the strange well, so, case whoa, 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 of whoa, whoa, somebody whoa, whoa. and somebody... We've okay. got some good stuff coming, my friends. That's the best page. No, it's um, not. Oh, yeah. No. It is. It no, is. no, 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 no. No. The best page is when Man Thing walks through the door. That's the best page. It was nice to see the Howling Commandos and it being the other Howling Commandos in Shield. I will admit, that was kind of cool. But I don't know. I had some issues here. With my issues. What? Fitz and, and Simmons were in it? Well, you say Fitz and Simmons are in it. You know, Fitz is barely in issue six. Simmons, I don't even know where she is in issue six. Uh, I believe they're both there together, aren't they? Uh, they shouldn't be. Page three? Isn't that them? Infected? Uh, <laughs> Uh, I, I mean, don't know. They are super intelligent. If you look yeah. at page, I think it's page three. It could be. You know what page I'm talking what, about, right? Yeah, that's not what Fitz was wearing last time we saw him. Yeah, it looks like his haircut. Well, but why would he go to a tuxedo after he was in that parka? I'm not talking about that page. I'm talking about in in the Shield headquarters. Where uh, okay, yeah. May, Coulson, and Hill are talking, and they're looking at yeah, two people. Yeah, yeah, I see it now. Don't spoil. Don't spoil. They're there. <sighs> I just got issues. I, yeah, I, issue six that has yeah. man thing. So, okay, so here's my problem. Mark Wade writes both of these, right? Mm-hmm. But Mike Choi does the art in one. Right. And Paul Renard does Renaud, the art in Renaud. Renard. Um, which might be fine yeah. if they were doing like an entire arc, but they're not. No. So the two sides, when you're reading them right next to each other, the art does not feel the same. But to make it worse, on the opening page, where it's got like the past mission, look at how they arrange our team. 
Coulson original cover. I right. believe that's the Tedesco cover. Yeah. Then we've got what am I call cartoon fits. And then we've got original cover Gemma. And then cartoon May. They just they wait. Are not so your consistent. your problem is with the recap. That it starts there because the thing is 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 like this number five. The art to me, there are moments where it felt like Saturday morning cartoon. Mm-hmm. And I feel harsh saying that, but there are just pages where it feels like like Colson. There's the page where they're going into the Mistech facility, and he's talking to Leader Two. I mean, yeah. these there's three Colsons on this page, and he looks different in every one. I disagree. I mean, this is this is simplistic line art, but I don't think it's too cartoony. It looks like Saturday morning cartoons to me. You're watching Which some there's pretty a good, place for that. Pretty good Saturday morning cartoons, then. But then when I go to the next issue that I'm reading immediately after it, and it's a little bit more photorealistic. It just does not feel like I'm reading the same story. Hey, did you notice on the next to last page of issue five, Tony Stark, what he looks like? He's wearing his armor, silver armor. Well, that'd be the superior Iron Man armor. Yeah, yeah. But then uh, that first, that opening page of issue six, you see what he's wearing? He's wearing shorts and a button-down shirt that's unbuttoned. (laughs) Yeah, but that's the whole superior Iron Man thing. I mean, he's partying again. No, what I'm saying is, so when he was infected and he's under mind control, he's changed his clothes? Well, yeah, he's Tony Stark. He's maybe under mind control, but he's still going to be fabulous. It doesn't look too fabulous to me. But anyway, point being, there's definitely two artists here. I mean, it's each issue in this arc is a separate artist. It's meant to be a separate episode. Well, and again, I read these back to back. And that's the problem is that these, you know, issue one, two, three, and four. Having the different artist was okay because it was a different story. There were linking elements, but it was a different story each time. This, these two are not different stories. This but is, there is a problem with this. And there's really what we got five artists now at this point. I am concerned when we hit trade that it's going to read funny because you're going to literally turn the page and have the next artist. I think the only problem will be with five and six because we're literally the next moment with that. With the other ones, it is. It's a different story. And, And I think it's okay. I think it's okay. But here, you're right. There is a little bit of a... Jar. Yeah. It's jarring. It is a little bit. Uh, so the question is, Daniel, uh, and we're kind of rating these as, are the, is this something we recommend you read but borrow? Read but buy? I recommend buy? you buy it, issue seven. <laughs> read but buy or um, you know, just let it go and don't, don't bother. And with this, I, I definitely think I can't I, – I, I, almost say buy it buy it as a trade paperback put it on your shelf it'd be a nice thing for you as a shield fan but it's it's definitely something to read if you if you like superheroes if you like 
nice moments of you know f- kind of fist pump moments where they they finally get the win, but it's a natural you know twist where it's like we aren't gonna win. Oh man! And now oh, but we hey, we we just have the save right now and change of plans and it works. You know, there's a number of those moments here. I believe we're looking at the end of the arc. I believe this is where the end of the trade will be as well. Uh, I don't know. I'm saying if I were putting this together, this is a natural place because some of those elements at the beginning where they're trying to figure out a mystery about where this thing come from that's doing this, it kind of gets wrapped up here. And I think we'll be starting something new in the background with issue seven. So you want to talk about issue seven, Daniel? We get a teaser image. Uh, that teaser image is incredible, and it is definitely something that fans of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. will be interested in. It will be relevant to your interests. They have, you know, I, I heard recently a podcast talking about a Marvel book where they brought Gordon in. And I would say that in S.H.I.E.L.D. it's going to be even more linked. I mean... They do a good job in these issues linking it to the show when one of, again, Coulson's an arranger. And in arranging, he brings in somebody that Tuesday night fans are going to be familiar with. And so that's a nice touch, again, linking this comic to something that's relevant to the interests of MCU fans. And in this next episode, it's going to be slap. It's going to be in your face. You're going to be slapped with the connections. Um, Very much so. Very much so. And that cover looks awesome. And there is, I'm not going to say who, but there is someone that if I ever met them at a convention, I would, in a moment, say, would you sign this book? Even though it's the 616 version of characters, you know, but... Yeah, so I'm, I'm dancing around it because I don't know how much you actually want to reveal. I just know you're super excited, with good reason. But again, that. I thought that was the best page of the entire thing. You may disagree, but I think it was when when I flipped that page and saw that next month, I pretty much squealed. I disagree, but for one reason only. Well, you can't. And that is the fact that I squealed. No, no. Uh, and, and that is that the. The benefit of a book like this, which is a team-up book, this is the same as the Marvel team-up with Spider-Man where every issue he's fighting alongside a different hero. Uh, There are moments with that where I I bought a Marvel team-up book simply because of who he was teaming up with. I didn't buy any Marvel 2-in-1s on the shelf or off the spinner rack or anything like that. Uh, But the same kind of thing there where the thing teams up with someone from the Marvel Universe. And so I... I did. I, uh, you know, it, on eBay, you know, a few years ago, found a couple where I was like, "Oh, he teams up with that guy. I'm getting that." There's even one where he teams up against himself, you know, and, and it's like the thing, and the thing, and there's some, uh, you know, there's a Spider-Man one where he teamed up with uh, Captain Britain, and I didn't know who Captain Britain was. I just thought that was so interesting. Now this is me as a like a junior high student. I thought it was so interesting that there was a Captain Britain along with a Captain America. And so I'm like, I'm, I'm getting that, man. That's, that sounds really interesting. And this is the same thing here is I get to see Coulson. All of a sudden, part of his plan, he's teaming up. Man, things there, you know? So this is was an exciting moment for me just because I like the character 
or lack of character. But next of the month, thing. we've gone on record in saying, I don't know how they're going to do it. Yes. Because of how things in Marvel 616 are currently arranged. Maybe Secret Wars is making this possible. Well, and that's another question with Secret Wars. Right now, the Marvel Universe has kind of been put on pause as this kind of crazy big event is happening in another dimension of Battle World. And so you have this big event that's going to possibly rewrite or rearrange the Marvel Universe. The question is, how does that work? What is that going to look like? And my question is, okay, so a book like S.H.I.E.L.D., here, how does that fit in to their plans? How does that fit in uh, when this is really kind of skirting the Marvel Universe? And this could exist in its own world. The, this S.H.I.E.L.D. issue, or the S.H.I.E.L.D. series, rather, could exist in its own world of Coulson and superheroes exist. And it, but then also, there's nothing in here that says it's not a part of the regular Marvel comic universe. Um, but when the Marvel Universe is rewritten or rearranged or rebooted or whatever it is they're going to do. I don't know how this fits in. All I know is after the secret wars is done, we're getting some shield stuff. We're getting shield comics. We're getting one shots featuring Melinda may. So where, how does this all fit in? I don't know. doesn't matter. And, it's good on its own. You and even if you're, if you're uh, agents, a shield fan, you're going to want issue seven. So get out on eBay, co- find your local comic book shop. Don't go to Barnes & Noble because you won't find it there, even though it's a nice lending library, according yeah. to Ben. <laughs> You're going to want issue seven, sight unseen. Yeah. So I, I, I definitely say, as an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. fan, you, you'll get a kick out of reading these stories with Coulson playing with Spider-Man and, and fighting alongside uh, Captain Marvel or Ms. Marvel. Um, it's, it's, it's enjoyable to me on that level. And I'm glad I have the issues. I might double dip and actually get the trade. I well. might also double dip and get the trade. So that brings us to then another Marvel Universe version of a MCU TV character, and that is Operation Sin. I say MCU TV character. I mean, she started out on the movies, but Operation Sin that features Agent Carter, Howard Stark, Woodrow McCord. Issue 5 is the big finale. Daniel, take it away. It's the big finale because the cover says the big finale. finale. (laughs) It's right there. So it's in your face, Ben. It's in your face. It is right there in my eyeballs. Ooh. I'm going to sound – so, Ben, as I said in our in episode 99, it might have just been my mood. <laughs> okay. Um, if I was to summarize this, it would literally be our team of heroes are in a Hydra base in Russia where they help an alien deal with her relationship problems as the man who loves her, Avanko, tries to – figure out if he can save the world with all these other people. And then we have a whole bunch of fights and squabbles about Russians versus Americans as the Russian, the Soviet army is descending upon the base. And I don't want to ruin the end. 
I also don't want to ruin the end. I also don't want to ruin some of the twists that are involved by giving a really snarky statement that kind of encapsulates everything. But my snark so, comes from a place of love because I actually like the the story. I mean, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go off for a little bit here. I think this this issue is probably the most wordy of all the issues that we've read so far. And I feel like at times it is easy to get lost in the dialogue because there's a lot of words, a lot of white space being taken up to for balloons that I don't remember being in the other issues. Number two, as you know, I'm a big fan of Woodward McCord or was a big fan of Woodward McCord. Here, I really feel like Woodward McCord is not the man on the wall, that he's quit being that. Yeah, he wants to kill aliens. What do you mean by man on the wall? He's not protecting Earth. Okay. Woodward McCord is the unseen at this point. Uh, not uh, He is the, the man who defends Earth. He kills aliens, he kills monsters, and he kills any threat that would would hinder normal human beings except for the ones that Agent are attacking Carter, the Soviet Union. Carter tells him not to kill, right? Yeah. Uh, Cuz that's a that's a conflict there. I mean, you can see he's saying we need to take this guy out. No, we need to take this thing out. No. But but I have a bigger conflict here. And I'm going to I might even say sound anti-American when I say this. Okay. But we're, Woodward and and Howard are really caught up in the Cold War. And and I've never really noticed this before. Woodward on his on his suit, on his costume, has an American flag, and he is not just anti-alien. He's anti things that are not American. And I think because of that, it really makes me feel like his charge is almost lessened because he does this because he's protecting America. Where a future version of the Unseen is going to be doing this to protect the world. He protects Earth. That is his prior- priority. Where again, you know, Woodward here, he's he's kind of me, you know, not really caring about Bear Boy at times. Because, you know, he's a Rusky. So. Yeah, no, there's there's definitely, this is written as that kind of, we are looking backward at these backward people, you know, and so it's the Cold War, and so we're gonna write him his, some dialogue that's gonna show just how idiotic those people were. Back I, then, I also know? feel like Howard has a major idealistic high horse that he takes on this. That he has a lot to say about science and progress, and I kind of feel like maybe the ending kind of lessens that. And it does come a little bit more close-minded to Cold War politics. Which, I, there's plenty of good stories about Cold War politics. I grew up in the Cold War. I know a lot about the Cold War. I've studied the Cold War. I just, in a book in which my superhero is the defender of the Earth, I want him to care a little bit less about human current events. I want him to care about the fact that the scrolls are out there. And are attempting to turn themselves into cow that will then cows that will then be eaten. <laughs> well, my one my question then because I don't know about his backstory, but when I'm hearing you talk like this, I'm I'm wondering to myself, okay, so is it possible 
that that's his his character arc that as we see him in further stories that he goes away from the okay i'm i am doing this because i am here to save the world because saving the world means saving my homeland of america to i'm saving people i and i don't know where he ends up in the present day because uh, you know where he well uh, and so I, I do know where he winds up <laughs> is he still that that well, guy that you're 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 not liking no he's he's the guy who's there killing fighting for the earth and killing aliens i mean that's really what he's doing does he have the american flag on his costume um, in the present day. I don't remember seeing it when we first see him, which is after this story. So that would suggest to me that maybe they but, are doing but, what but I'm when saying. He started, when he started this, he was apprenticed with the man before him who had this job. And in that apprenticeship, again, it wasn't about United States versus anyone. And it began most likely before the Soviet Union was formed. It was really – I mean they're out in space, you know, learning – alien languages and finding alien invasions to stop. Um, it's not about politics. And again, he starts this internship as a young boy. McCord and does? So maybe he might be in, he may be immature because this is the only life he's known and he's got these values that were formed as him formed by him as a young boy. But he feels less... I think the thing I kind of like about Woodward McCord is he feels space cowboyish because of the fact, you know, he comes from a, a time before ours, you know, a, a less modern time. But he feels more Cold War warrior than space cowboy in here. Yeah, well, he's, I, I think he's space cold warrior here. I think, and, and this is, to me, his character is kind of playing off on the the serials of you know the the 30s and 40s where you do have i mean basically buck rogers flash gordon rocket rider or whatever his name was yeah. you know they're they are very much you know we we're gonna fight whoever the enemy is and the enemy is you know either symbolic of or actually is you know from these these other countries these you know china or or Russia, or these these places that are far away and dangerous, and and the Cold War stuff. I don't have a problem with it, other than it is written a little cliched for me, and much more written as wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Isn't he such a stupid oaf for saying those things that no one would say now, because we're so much more sophisticated and better than people back then. It comes off a little bit like that to me. and But then it also is witty. There is wit to it. And even as it's dialogue that is kind of <laughs> oafish, uh, there's there's wit there. And there is wit to the, the script. It's, it's a witty script. The art is good. There's some twists. There's some turns. But honestly, my final verdict on this one is to say maybe read it. But you're not missing out on much if you don't. No, again, I really feel the ending just didn't pay off for me. The the final like, page ending, like, or the climactic ending. Uh, the final two pages. Yeah, I, just I can understand. I'm I'm there with you on that. 
I mean, it's almost depressing Tomorrowland. <laughs> My thing is, I was coming into this expecting this to really focus on, and it does, it focuses on Agent Carter, but I expected it to be more. I expected this to be basically a mini-series. It started when the Agent Carter series on TV started. I thought we were going to be getting something that was going to be a different story. It's set in the 616 universe, the Marvel Comics universe. It's not the blonde Peggy from 616. I thought we were going to be seeing something more along those lines of an exciting spy story. We ended up getting this you know, behind enemy lines story where, yeah, they're spies in that they're behind enemy lines and sneaking around. But then it got just kind of... Uh, weird and big and it hit some of my sweet spots you know as far as sci-fi goes retro sci-fi uh aliens and that kind of thing but again if if you come across this it's it's a it's an okay read it's a good read but it's not something that you really have in my opinion that you should just run out and get i'm not gonna make that that kind of a statement simply because i don't want someone to come back and hate me because it's not great great so it's good. And I, I would say borrow it. I'd be, yeah, yeah, I'd be right in the middle there. Yeah. It's not a borrow. I mean, it's not a buy. It's a borrow. So. So should we talk about uh, some Netflix characters? Yeah, let's talk about Night Nurse. <laughs> the cover of Night Nurse. Now, this is an $8 book that contains four issues from the 70s and one issue from the 2000s. Um, and if you uh, are a comic book time machine time traveler, then you would want to set your coordinates on your time machine to, uh, 1972. And in 1972, we had these issues hitting the stands. We have, um, one of them hitting the stands in August 15th, 1972, October 17th, 1972 is issue two. That's the day after my birthday, by the way. This is, um, of course, two years before I was born. But uh, December 12th, this is, so this is a bi-monthly comic. They did four issues. Uh, my understanding is that Stan Lee came and said, we ha- I want some girl comics. And he had three titles. And I can't remember the other two titles, but one of them was Night Nurse. And said, let's do this. And out of that, then, Roy Thomas, who was going to be the editor of this book, said, wouldn't it be great if instead of having a guy writing a girl comic that's meant for women, or for young women anyway, what if we actually had a woman writing it? And so that's how Gene Thomas got involved as the writer. And so Gene Thomas, Roy's wife at the time, wrote these four issues from the 70s. And Brian Michael Bendis, like I mentioned, uh, no, <laughs> if you listen to episode 99, I mentioned Brian Michael Bendis brought the character back in Daredevil issue 80, which is also Daredevil issue 460. That's when they had done a new number one, but they brought back that original uh, numbering so they could get to 500. And when he brought Night Nurse back, he brought her back as a, a medical doctor to the, the superheroes. In the 70s, she there is no superheroics. There is no indication that there's even superheroes in that universe. Night Nurse seems to be in her own universe. And it's definitely, 
a soap opera type of book. Um, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. It's an $8 book. The cover uh, is the new cover that, that they made for this, this thick book. It's not, it doesn't have a spine on it like you would have on a graphic novel, but it is big enough that they could have done that. Uh, it has blonde Linda Carter running down the street. There's Daredevil laying on the ground, his hand kind of reaching up, but his fingers kind of crooked. Uh, he's taking a fall, it looks like. He's got his billy club rope line on the on the ground beneath him. And uh, she's running to him. He's hurt, hurt bad. I've got to help him. Meanwhile, Power Man, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, and Jessica Jones are attending to him. So basically, they're pretty much saying, hey, Netflix people, check this out. Here's the origin of that character named Claire, who is not named Claire in this book. And the back cover is uh, an advertisement for Daredevil, a Netflix original series. Inside back cover is an advertisement for all the collected editions of Daredevil. There's Frank Miller Volume 1, Frank Miller Volume 2, Volume 3, The Man Without Fear, Born Again, Guardian Devil, and then uh, the Bendis. There's three Bendis ones there. Uh, Ultimate Collection, Book 1, 2, and 3. Uh, there is one page where it's a Night Nurse cover art that is the actual like uh, ink page without the color and it's it's interesting to see i always like seeing those kind of behind the scenes kinds of things but so that's night nurse in, in issue one there's um she faces a conundrum where she's met the man of her dreams but he doesn't want her to be a nurse you gotta choose you can be my wife or you can be a nurse but you can't be both and in the middle of that you have uh what basically amounts to almost a race riot outside as there's rolling brownouts and, you know, the main streets aren't getting, you know, losing their power, but these lower income areas are. And the story is about Linda Carter and her two friends who are also, also nurses. There's Georgia Jenkins and Christina or Christine Palmer and they all come from different backgrounds. Georgia Jenkins is an African American girl who she's she lives just just down the street from the the hospital where they're working. Linda Carter, she um, her parents are really supportive of her her decision to be a nurse. And then you have Christine Palmer, whose father is rich but is totally against it. And there's just the, all these soap opera elements, but then there's some social commentary, which is interesting in that first issue. The second issue has uh, some political stuff going on. You also have a doctor who is courting Christine Palmer, and he's also working the books so that he can have the drugs that he wants. And the third issue is uh, um, there's criminals getting involved and, and you know, would you give care to a uh, a gangster who is a, a murdering murderer who murders? And in the end, there, you know, we, of course, we're going to care for them. And then the the fourth issue doesn't have Linda Carter in it. It's actually centered around Christine Palmer, but it's basically a gothic uh, romance kind of story. And I that's my favorite of all of them. It has this nice little neat twist ending uh, as she goes and she's at this gothic house and she's going to take care of 
this guy who's in a wheelchair and it's a mystery mystery what uh put him in the wheelchair why doesn't he want help and then there's footprints outside but the footprints don't match the size of any of the feet in the house and she's trying to help this man who is you know basically uh, i think he's a paraplegic he can't use his legs at all and it's it's good stuff there's a nice little end but it's good stuff in a cheesy 70s kind of way so my recommendation for night nurse it's very specific the kind of person who would like to read this i'm the kind of person who would like to read this i really enjoyed myself uh reading even the soap opera stuff uh it's only four issues so it's not like i'm reading 30 issues of this i don't know if i could handle 30 issues hill what i'm not a fan of tree no i'm not a fan of tree hill my wife was a fan of tree hill use that shorthand you taught it to us all yeah whatever so i liked it but it's a very specific audience and and probably not necessarily relevant to your interest if you're watching the daredevil series and thinking i really like this i want to read about night nurse no you get the daredevil stuff that brian michael bendis wrote that's where you get the night nurse stuff that's going to give you the background of, of the character of claire this no those four issues in the 70s money what this is just going to take your money yeah and it took my money but i got my my value out of it my enjoyment and i might even read it again sometime i don't know but i actually do like romance comics especially when it's a a gothic romance comic where it's going to give you that kind of twist ending and some sort of mystery and it's because you're just a lover at heart buddy i really am you're a hot mess of love i wouldn't say that but i am yeah, so that's my my comic. I feel like I've just done an episode of the Comic Book Time Machine where you can listen to us talk about comics all the time at comicbooktimemachine.com. But Daniel, now we are coming to the end of our comic here, end of our mission report. I oh. need to know, Daniel, what in the world is this mystery comic? Well, you've got your co- you've got all the MCU comics is my understanding, right? I have all of them in bound form. Uh, and most of them in, in comic form, yes. But you've got your copy of Avengers Operation Hydra, correct? I do not. Do I? Well, you're totally missing out. Why? Operation because Hydra? Because I remember you and I talked probably about a month, month and a half ago about this comic that was called The Avengers Operation Hydra. And we both said, what is that? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm holding it in my hand. Okay. And it's an MCU book. Is it? It is a more effective prelude to Age of Ultron than the Age of Ultron prelude. Really? And it is. It is set in the MCU. And it's $3.99. It's set in the MCU? It's set in the MCU. Why haven't we heard about this? I don't know. It doesn't have the M. Well, okay, so I can't tell from my issue per se. Because my issue has a variant cover that's based off Avengers 16. But when you look at the regular cover, it does not have the MCU black circle on it. No, it doesn't. It is written by Corona Pilgrim, though. Corona Pilgrim is one of their current guys who does the MCU-related stuff. Exactly. He wrote um, Ant-Man Prelude. And this, what he wrote here, is a prelude to Age of Ultron. Basically, what it is, is it's it gives you, in short, one of those Hydra missions. 
the pre-Age of Ultron Hydra missions that they refer to that they've gone out before. You're kidding me. It's one of those missions. And along with the fighty-fighty, we also look at Hawkeye in depth as he kind of mentally evaluates his role in the Avengers. And, you know, everybody else has got powers or their gods or their iron suits, and i got a bow and arrow, and so what's my role on this team? So in many ways, you follow Hawkeye through this Hydra mission, which, again, another great way of being a prelude to Age of Ultron, dealing with kind of Hawkeye's emotional arc. That is wild. And it, and the reason that – so I was out with my, my friend Agent Matt uh-huh. at his comic store. I saw it. I picked it up, and I opened it up, and there it is on, like, page five. There's Hawkeye in his Age, age of Ultron um, jacket. Yeah. Which, that's a pretty distinctive look. It's not like Hawkeye runs around with that. I, I see it on the – I'm looking at the cover right now that I think is probably the cover you don't have. Um. There's no circle, but you can see that coat, that kind yeah. of. Uh, knee, well, and I can't. I don't know thing. if you can. And you can see too that Captain America's got the A on his shoulder. It's even more prevalent in the comic. But I mean, it's got a scene with Pepper in it. It's got a scene with um, uh, Jane in it. <laughs> it kind of sets up what they're doing before. I mean, all the Avengers, what they're doing before. I wonder if this is just going to end up then in the... Wait a minute, because we already got the prelude. They already bound it. The Age of Ultron prelude. So if you're an MCU completist, you need this. Yeah, but it's not official because it doesn't have the stamp on it. Well, is the stamp going away? Because, I mean, I'm looking over at... um, I've seen things that talk about the fact that this is set in the MCU and even Marvel's own site. No, it's not. next summer's blockbuster film, join the Avengers. Yeah. As I set off on an all new adventure, but it doesn't say, I mean that, that kind of thing before the, before the movie comes out, that's the kind of thing they would say about almost anything. I know. Like they did with night nurse. Huh? But, but that's, I mean, that, that's if you the writer, go over though. to websites, I mean, so like the Marvel Cinematic Universe wiki, Avengers Operation Hydra is a comic set in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's set after the events of Com- Captain America, the Winter Soldier, and before the events of Avengers Age of Ultron. Hmm. I missed it. So, well, you still might be able to get it. Not at my Matt's shop. That store had a big pile of them. Well, my comic shop had none of them. And I've never seen this before. I love the variant cover that I have, which I was not charged extra for. That's based on Avengers 16. Because you remember when I said it was $3.99? Yeah, Avengers 16 is in there, right? Avengers 16 is in there. And again, again, not MCU, but another great forerunner of Age of Ultron. Because that is the issue in which we get the new Avengers lineup with Hawkeye, Scarlet Witch, and Quicksilver. And Thor and Iron Man and Giant Man and Wasp leave the team. But that's the way they do things with, with these Marvel books. I mean, they, they did it but, with, but again, with others too, but I get they, put in the, they put in the MCU story that kind of gives you background about where it came from uh, in, the, in the 616 story. 
But again, this is not this is not like an eight page MCU story plus a full Stan Lee and Jack Kirby issue because that's who wrote sixteen is Lee and Kirby. It is it's a nice heavy, not double size for three ninety nine, but at least a si- one and a half. Well, all I can say, Daniel, is I'm intrigued. I'm going to try and find this and get a copy of this. But at the same time, I'm glad you didn't go where I thought you were going. Because I thought you were going to have to force me to buy some uh, character I don't like. And I wasn't I already looking forward to that. through him. Yeah. But, I mean, this, I again, shocked. I, I was going through stuff with Matt and his youngling. Saw it. I said, it's "Hey, youngling, talk, what are you, some sort of alien?" Talking, remember talking to Ben about this, and we couldn't figure out what it was. So I'm going to flip through it, and then I walked out with it because it's an MCU comic. Huh. Wow. Oh, I think boom. I Wowie. Yeah, well, that's... And, and to be honest, I mean, it fits the MCU, but it never has to be acknowledged with the Black Circle because we don't know how many missions there were. We knew that they went against Hydra for more than once, more than twice. Yeah, multiple missions for sure. Yeah, and this just falls into the idea of this is just one of them. Wow. Well... I, would, I wouldn't say it's complex because it's not... I mean, the fight, the the battle is fighty, fighty. The complex stuff is the Hawkeye character development. Daniel, I'm really Boom. wishing you hadn't shown me this because, like I said, the completest in me. I, I'm gonna have to find this. I'm telling you, man, that that Kirby variant cover, man, love it. All right, well, we need to move on then. Uh, we do have some more business to get to here, but as far as comic business goes, fun episode. Thanks, Daniel, for just three ninety nine. If just, I can find it, just three ninety. If I can find it, well, yeah. if you, I know where there's a big pile of them. <laughs> yeah, I'm not coming to Minneapolis anytime soon. Well, I actually have something that I'm supposed to send you. I'd like a bigger envelope. I've got something to send you too, but it's comic book time machine related, not level seven. Yeah. Oh. So, all right, let's move on to the Shield Field Report. Daniel, you got your emails ready? I do. All right. I want to oh. start with an email that is subject line. This is, oh, wait. Spoilers are coming. <laughs> Spoilers. 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 We are spoiling Age of Ultron and the end of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in the following emails. So please be aware that spoilers will exist and come. All right. Are you ready? All right. Okay. SOS Part 1 and 2 from Agent... Kurt. Kurt. Agent Kurt says, Hello again, gentlemen. Agent Kurt here again to talk about some Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And man, what a finale we got. While there were a few things I would have handled differently overall, this was a pretty satisfying conclusion that tied up a lot of story elements, not only from this season, but also from season one. 
Before I get to the episode, can I just say I thought it was funny that Ben was pro-torture in the last episode? Uh, ben cutting in here. I don't remember being pro-torture. Um, so I don't... I hope I wasn't. <laughs> but, I'm used to it. You and your crazy, villainous, pro-ideological thing. Well, it might have had something to do with... I know it had something to do with the scene with... Uh, with uh, Dad, I can't remember his name right now. Cal. Cal, with Cal in the in the prison, with the temperature changes and stuff like that. But maybe I th- was coming across as more I'm pro light torch. That's not good either. No. Ugh. Well, hopefully don't I wasn't a, too. Don't be for torture, Ben. <laughs> not for torture. I'm just apparently not speaking well. But I feel like we need to do an intervention. Maybe. Maybe. Anyway, uh, back to Agent Kurt. There was a lot going on in the episode, so I'll just talk about my highlights. Firstly, I was gutted to see Raina get killed off so soon and so quickly by Jaying. Raina, as strange and as creepy as she's come across, has always been a pretty and mysterious character. I've liked seeing her grow and become an inhuman with future-telling abilities, but... Uh... But I can see how her powers would become problematic for some and formulaic after a while. I just wasn't expecting that jab to the neck from Jaying so swift. And speaking of Jaying, what I mean, I'm not sure if I can use that word or not. I'm going to say no. <laughs> uh, I knew that she was corrupt, but here we learned the, ex- the true exact nature of her hatred for S.H.I.E.L.D. and humanity in general. What Whitehall did to her really messed her up and changed her whole perspective on the world. And to know that not only she was the one responsible for the death of the Inhuman Elders and the village people of China, and not Cal, as we were made to believe, was staggering. She was so cold, manipulative, and calculating. I also like the redemption of Cal. I've liked his character a lot this season. He's so strange and over the top, but he had a mission to bring his family back together. And while he never went about doing things in the right way, his cause was admirable. To learn that he wasn't really a monster, but a man being misled by his former wife was a big revelation to me. It again added a lot of depth to him. His final goodbye with Skye was lovely and definitely earned. And that moment when he saw her again with his memory wiped was so sad and yet lovely at the same time. Then there's a whole situation with Bobby, Ward, and Agent 33. Firstly, those torture scenes with Bobby were horrible. My finger twitched every time I saw her bloody fingers. I loved her speech about making a call and never giving an apology for what she did. I also loved her fight with Ward, too. Very nice. Oh, and that Ward. Mean Mr. Manipulator. I like how Agent 33 saw a bit of clarity and decided not to shoot Bobby, but Ward had another idea ready to go with a sinister look on his face. I was also surprised to see him shoot May so swiftly, only for him to take out his girl. This was beautifully done and show that the last thing he remotely cared about was inadvertently taken away from him by his own hand. Now, the dude looks pissed and ready to assemble a new crew to make trouble for the S.H.I.E.L.D. team. Hail Hydra to that. Other things I liked were, one, Mac going up against Gordon, and the line about him being the guy that would kill Gordon was awesome. Two, seeing Gemma say to Fitz that there was something to talk about in regards to their underwater situation from last season was sweet. And seeing them awkwardly discuss dinner plans was so heartwarming to me. But then Gemma sucked into that shifting rock thing. I was absolutely gutted. What happens now? Is she teleported, turned into an enhanced, turned into a carbonite like Han Solo? I want answers. Three, Coulson lost a hand. No, 
I was surprised because I thought he may not be affected because of the procedure way back when, but when his hand got cut off and I, and it was revealed, I was astounded. I hope Coulson got, gets a cool metal hand with a glove like Luke Skywalker did. Four, I think I was the only one who assumed for a split second that when the crystals started dissolving in the water, the fish were being shown that this was a tie-in to maybe the Atlanteans. Only after I saw the fish being packaged into fish oil tablets did my theory get crushed. But I thought that thing would have been interesting. I thought that would have been interesting. Anyway, that's my thoughts done, and that's probably a ton of stuff I missed, but I, I didn't want to go on forever. Thanks for covering this season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. It's been a good conversing with you two. Looking forward to your Daredevil episodes. Agent Kurt, out. Yeah. Uh, I mean, a lot of good stuff there. Uh, nothing I would really disagree with, except I'm not pro-torture. I promise. Well, I promise I'm not. Right. Promise. Okay. It hasn't seemed like that, Ben. <laughs> hey, we got an email from someone who is on our network, the Noodle Mix Network. Would you like to read that from uh, Tim Renchepel Martin? Let's just call him Agent, Agent Tim. Tim. Okay, go ahead. On the a- Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Simmons character arc. About halfway through SOS, I was thinking that Simmons might turn out to have been, well, turned by Hydra, as I thought about her character over the last few seasons, and I think there might have been some subtle clues of a major character change all along. First and foremost was her wardrobe. Is it just me, or has she been wearing a lot more black clothes since her undercover work at Hydra? Also, what's up with her anti-enhanced ramp back when Sky first got her powers? Given that the obelisk is said to be a weapon to be used against the Inhumans and Simmons shifts to the darker spectrum of her character, I think we can expect her to play a significant role in opposition of Project Caterpillar. Thanks for listening. Listening, Agent Tim, co-host of Are You Just Watching? Yeah, which is one of the Noodle Mix Network podcasts. So, um, Yeah, she's got issues, man. She definitely, I mean, she had a character arc here, and... I'll, I'll say this. They definitely tried to write it in such a way that you could wonder, is she turned? Has she turned? And they didn't go that direction. Uh, but I think that they did mean you to at least a few times along the way think or wonder if it was possible. What do you Truth. think? Yeah. Uh, this is a message that was on Facebook from Agent Snook. And this is a Age of Ultron thing. And uh, <laughs> he said, What a bunch of all day Strucker suckers. You all actually fell for the old stage proof of death photo trick. Baron Strucker is totally not dead. If the Baron really is the counterpoint to Nick Fury, just remind yourself of the big fake death fake out that the latter just played on the world. And I, I wanted to just bring that out of the, the Facebook conversation. I thought that was a. Like, Wait, what's he talking about? He's talking about Strucker they, they, not being dead. Like, yeah, is Strucker dead was, or not? What was Fury doing? Fury pretended to be dead. What? Fury's not dead? Well, he did show up in a movie that we just watched. Good point. Yeah. We got a message from Agent Petra. <laughs> That's what Gonzalez said. He's not dead? What? Uh, Agent Petra writes in subject sorry letter from Agent Petra inventor of the Yes Prize she says hi guys you were absolutely right I didn't send any idea last time although it's the rule but for one I didn't know that I just joined your agency club 
League Army. Because after Agent Gabor won the Yes Prize, I wanted to check out your show, and I really liked it. But I'm still a newbie and learning how things are going around here. And last but not least, I'm super dumb for these things. I really love the movies, the stories, the conversations about how cool it was and how much cooler it could have been with just so many more ninjas. My all-time favorite idea for basically everything. Uh, Daniel, I think you have a kindred spirit here in Agent Petra. I'm ready to give her another uh, another uh, a no prize. A prize we don't. Here. We can't give a yes prize. A yes, uh, I, yes prizes are just out of our reach right now. Well, maybe she needs to watch Daredevil. Where maybe yes to ninjas. <laughs> uh, anyway, she goes on to say he's into comic books since he was a little boy, and now that he's and now that he's still a little boy in a huge guy's a huge jetty's body. I feel a little handicapped next to him. When I was a little girl, I only knew Spider-Man, Batman, and Superman, but I was afraid of Batman. I thought that Spider-Man was a weird ballet dancer, and I only liked Superman because he was able to fly just like Rainbow Dash. I can't make a difference between Marvel and DC because, for me, it doesn't matter. Cool superheroes are cool superheroes. But I don't want to fail the city, so if you haven't bombed your computer and poured salt everywhere around... After my shameful confession yet, I'll try to make it up somehow, but the last Marvel movie that made me write a really long list about its mistakes, opportunities, and potentials was the last X-Men movie. And I'm sure it's Marvel, because I asked Gabor. I know everyone figured it did some serious paradox and the effects on the previous X-Men movies, like why didn't Stryker know who Wolverine was, uh, where was Sabretooth and their, their band, etc. But here's one thing I'm surprised I never heard from anywhere. Magneto was held 100 levels deep. It's approximately 400 meters, 1,312 feet, which is extremely dangerous for human health. How was he okay with that? In what possible way was he physically able to be okay with that? And those who brought him food three times a day, 1,312 feet down, then almost immediately back up without any kind of nausea? Wow, now that's superpower. Still love your show, still trying to catch up. Still best wishes, Agent Petra. So, <laughs> yeah. I, can you get the bends from just going down without water pressure? I don't know. Well, I, I read Journey to the Center of the Earth, and they didn't seem to get the bends. <laughs> I wouldn't say the Journey to the Center of the Earth is really your scientific model to follow, but... I get all my science from Jules Verne. <laughs> yeah. Late 1800s science fiction is, is a good good place to get your science from. So, uh, Daniel, would you like to read our next message from Agent Mark? Well, I'm with Agent Mark's got a picture in here. So, Ben and Daniel, I'm not going to review scene by scene, and, and many other agents have provided excellent feedback thus far. So, my feedback would best be served if provided some of my observations, questions, and our predictions and speculations. I'm wondering how much time has passed between the battle for Iliad number two and when we see Dr. Andrew. A few weeks, perhaps? But then again, some time would have needed to pass to allow Cal Stitches to heal from open brain Tahiti treatment. We saw that Coulson printed out blueprints of what looks like specs of the Avengers Age of Ultron Quinjet with Stark Stealth Tech, probably given to Coulson by Hill and or Fury. Along with the jet specs, I also see cargo steel ribbing. I speculate that it looks as though Fitz is going to build a custom bus, which will be a bloated version of Stark's stealth tech Quinjet. With Fury no longer the decision maker in S.H.I.E.L.D., I hope Fitz can manage to get a fish tank installed on bus number two 
It's a callback to Fury's comments in Season 1, Episode 2, 084. I love the underwater crystal mist to fish oil sequence. It was reminiscent of the Incredible Hulk Brazilian green drink sequence. Mm -hmm. From my limited knowledge of the process of how oil is extracted, I speculate that the fish oil will will have only the Terrigen mist component and not the lethal diviner metals. So I doubt in season three we will be seeing crusted dead civilians. However, what I do get, what what we do get, is an endless possibility of powered people. In other words, an MCU version of the Terrigen bomb. That said, this could be a great premise for John Ridley's new Marvel TV show to be the new Miss Marvel, Kamala Khan. So how about that tag scene? The Cree Death Rock consumed Simmons. What does this mean for season three? I think that when we return, Simmons is spit out of the rock before anyone has noticed she was ever gone. All we get to indicate something happened to her is a brief effect of her eyes glazing over quickly to black and back to normal before the opening shield sequence. Having Simmons be a Cree-controlled and human assassin would set up tension and doubts of her true motivation throughout the first half of season three, culminating in a big reveal for the mid-season finale. As for Ward... I think Ward's journey in Season 3 is going to mirror that of Coulson's path in Season 2. Ward is going to build up new Hydra, only to be smacked down by real Hydra, led by Baron Simo, just in time for Captain America Civil War. As I provided a photo of the blue folder in the episode, Sky is going to be busy with the secret warriors in Season 3. It would be great if we could get Lincoln and Mike Peterson involved. The last speculation is about Lincoln. Lincoln and Gordon had some cryptic dialogue on the Iliad, in the finale about Lincoln's terrible past and childhood. Could this be a setup for Lincoln to be revealed as Thomas Ward in Season 3? On rewatch of Episode 1921, Ward never saw or met Lincoln in Season 2. If this turns out to be true, Ward could be worthy of the fish oil, as he would be inhuman as well. Well, that's all I have for now. Looking forward to Season 3 and whatever you guys have in store for the summer. Wow, there's a lot of good insights in here. And a lot of good speculation. Yeah. Uh, the photo stuff, there is definitely something, I, I could see that being a, uh, a new bus, a new bus. Well, we need a bus. And, and it's blueprints from the actual, like, it's, it's from a screenshot, but. Though, if this was Aquaman and the others, they replaced the living room with a boat. Did they? Yeah. I haven't read that as, yet. As Dan Jurgens told me. He had to blow up the bus at the living room because Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. had the bus. Because Aquaman and the others was about a team that traveled around in a plane and, spent, and the lived, room. lived on a plane. Yeah. And then was it the first issue, second issue? It's the first issue. Dan Jurgens blows it up. Yeah. It was because, cool. Because as he said, he had to because the living room came before the bus, but the bus was on TV. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I'm curious about the Death Rock with Simmons and and uh, could she come out of that as an anti-inhuman? I mean, I'm wondering if that might be the direction we'd be going in. Is is she comes out and she's powered specifically to take out the Inhumans? I mean, they say that that rock is one of the things that is uh, is something that is deadly to the Inhumans. Well, what if it is because it opens up a portal to somewhere where people who hate Hate the um, Inhumans. So. Cree death machine. Sure. 
All right, subject, some Spidey stuff from Agent Dillon. Agents Ben and Daniel. Uh, and I, I don't know exactly what this is referring toward other than what, what he talks about here, but he, he refers to a great idea. And he says, I think that great idea is spot on. Uh, apparently this is the great idea. Introducing Peter Parker on our show would be the perfect way to get the audience acquainted with the new Spider-Man so they can do the secret identity reveal in, secret, in, in Civil War. Heck, let's put Coulson in Civil War too. On a related note, this article says exactly what they should do with Gwen. We got the whole death story, and he gives a link to an article on cinemablend.com. So we got the whole death story in the last movie. I don't think anyone wants to see it again, at least not yet. We're already getting a Spidey reboot. Let's set it apart from the previous two Spider franchises. Let's bring in... Ready for the drum roll? I don't, I don't have a drum roll, but if I had one, Daniel, are you ready for it? Okay. Let's bring in Spider-Gwen. Perhaps one or both of them could be an Inhuman. All they have to do is go to a fish fry or drink water or whatever. Um, and Spider-Gwen is a character from another universe where Gwen Stacy was actually bitten by the spider instead of Peter Parker. If I have listened to my podcast from my co-host in Comic Time Machine correctly. So speaking of those fish, by the way, if the Diviner Metal is really still mixed in, either those fish are in fish, as in inhuman fish, or they should be dust. The metal probably sank to the bottom of the ocean while the Terrigen got dispersed throughout the ocean. Finally, and he sends a link here from Screen Crush, apparently the Sinister Six Six movie is still on. And field report, Agent Dillon. Spider-Gwen Daniel? You want to see some spider characters and expand the Spider-Man universe? If you want to. Well, I'll just say this, Daniel. That's what Sony should have been thinking about doing in the first place. Instead of Sinister Six. I'm just saying I take credit for the great idea. Okay. You are totally allowed to. Agent Stu sends us a message, Ben. Subject? Well? (laughs) Well... I'm never eating fish oil again. Yeah, I mean, that's a perfect subject line for the first line of his email. <laughs> hey, guys, I just finished season two finale of The Best Show on TV. And the entire time I'm thinking that we're leading up to, and the answer, Civil War. Not sure how Cap and Tony are going to interact with the Inhumans, but I'm pretty sure it will. Also, wouldn't it be awesome if Matt and Foggy, now that's a stupid name, get approached by someone wanting to sue a certain fish oil manufacturer because they have thorns coming out of their head or something? <laughs> Anyway, thanks for the great show. Sad that we're on a summer break, but thankfully I have several episodes of Daredevil left and a small, insignificant flick to look forward to. As always, make mine marvel. Agent Stu. Yeah, I've been wondering how they could very easily bring in Matt and Foggy. I'd almost like to see an episode where you have Matt and Foggy on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as lawyers, and we never see Daredevil. That would be good. And that's what they did on Spider-Man as Amazing Friends. That's actually one of my first interactions with the character of Daredevil. Was It was Spider-Man as Amazing Friends. Spider-Man uh, was uh, arrested. And one of those times where he <laughs> didn't take the mask off or whatever, but um, he was arrested, or it was Peter Parker. But anyway, Daredevil came 
it was Matt Murdock came as his lawyer and sits down and is talking to him. And then you get a Stanley voiceover where you see Daredevil like jumping across the rooftops. Little did Peter Parker know that this uh, his lawyer is actually the superhero Daredevil. And we never actually see Daredevil in action as a hero other than in that brief moment. But for me, that was a cool, cool moment of bringing in this part of the universe I wasn't really aware of as his lawyer. You know, it was, it was a nice little touch. And I've been wondering if we're going to see anything like that. I doubt it, but I've been wondering if we would. All right. We got an email nice. from Agent Ryan. Would you like to take that? Um, yeah. Quick note on Dr. Lisp. Just a quick note, guys. Dr. Lisp was killed by Iron Man during that battle at the beginning of the film. I missed it too, but the MCU wiki page for him explains his death. FYI. Love the show, Agent Ryan. I watched for that. I, I took my, kid, my, my son and his friends uh, to see Age of Ultron. And I watched for it. I didn't catch it, though. I didn't catch it. But, hmm? Maybe we needed to say unconfirmed. Maybe. And finally, from Lester T. Jester, the official fool of Welcome to Level 7. No, he's the official jester. We're the official fools. <laughs> exactly. Any other jester is, in fact, Not official. Invalid. It is unofficial. And... He says, Agents, it's your official jester, Lester T., back again. I know you thought you had lost me forever, but without disagreement, you have no conversation. Traditionally, the jester was the only one in court that could speak truths and concerns against the house without fear of losing face or head. So challenge the establishment I do. I, again, must say that Days of Future Past Quicksilver is a gimmick and a shallow character. You said he was a charismatic character. Wrong. The actor was charismatic. The character was used for a specific purpose but had no motivation or arc. And the character influenced the story in no way. In fact, the earlier script called for Juggernaut to spring Magneto. I agree that Quicksilver was the most memorable scene in Days of Future Past. Isn't that sad? A gimmick steals the show. I would rather have a character that has depth, motivations, personality, and is part of the story than a one note that is only the only part worth listening to in a symphony. But I digress. Daredevil! What a phenomenal series. Great breakdowns of the first episode into the ring. You guys managed to squeeze every last drop out of your discussions. Naturally, with the second episode, the hallway scene is the scene people talk about. I'll let others do it. The moment I want to address is the fire extinguisher down the stairwell. Before the final scene, that moment solidified the badassness... Badassedness? That is Daredevil. I really want to discuss episode three, so that will have to wait for next week. Uh, the ether is soul... <laughs> Your vigilant fool, Lester, T. Jester. And again, Days of Future Past, that is a haunting moment for me. And that's from my film school days. You take that moment out, out of context, and it still sticks with you and still has, um, it still has impact. I'll also say that <clears throat> um, it's not... While it is a memorable scene, Days of Future Past, the, I liked the movie itself. I really enjoyed the whole movie. Um, but by bringing Quicksilver in, they should have just put him on the plane, taken him with them to Paris, and boom, movie done. No boom. one dies. That's all they had to do. That's the problem for me. Why did they bring that character in when he is basically powerful enough 
to completely stop the movie and defeat the bad guys without much of a, of a fuss. Boom. Yeah. Would have been a shorter movie, but if there's one complaint I have about bringing him in, it's that they were really stupid to let him go and <laughs> just say, hey, just come with us. You're fast. You'll take care of this. It'll be done. You get to see Paris, Eiffel Tower, the Louvre, and then you can go home. Bring your Boom. sister, too. Yeah. Lorna. Yeah, whoever his sister was supposed to be. Totally Lorna. Well, I don't know. I don't know. All right, that does it from our, our mail. We do want to thank you once again for sending us uh, thoughts and challenges and conversation and discussion. And um, again, you, and I'm talking to you. Yes, you, Listen. with the earbuds. No, no, no. Also you, listening in your car. Thank you. We appreciate you, and you have really made, you make doing this worthwhile. 100 episodes of doing this. You, made it, you make it worthwhile for us to do this. I think it's time to retire, Ben. I don't know about that, but I'll say this. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're talking about maybe 175 hours of audio i have not taken the time <laughs> to Dude, to check it's gotta be at least 200 <clears throat> well at least 200 hours uh, it's 100 episodes we didn't go two hours on every episode but we went over two hours on enough of them i don't know about that but you're just so talky it's a blur it was... man it's a blur to so... think it all started on track and field day it did so well, I... my track and field day. <laughs> So, wasn't your track and field day. No, I, did, I didn't have a track and field day. But, so once again, I, do, I just want to say thank you for listening and thank you for sticking with us. And Daniel, thank you for sticking with me. Well, it was touch and go, but, you know, the counseling helped. It did. It did. Uh, yeah, so thanks for listening. And Daniel, before... Before I give you my final thoughts, do you have any final thought? Yet I'd like to thank everybody. This has been better a better experience than we ever hoped for. Yes, absolutely. And I'm looking forward to 100 more episodes. It's a big commitment, buddy. Eh, I'm not committing to it. I'm just looking well, forward the way, to it. The way the MCU is putting out things, we'll be done with that by August. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I don't know how this is going to work with Jessica Jones when that falls out. We'll figure it out when it happens, though. So for now, I just have to say, Daniel, there were a couple times when I said something that that I was worried, you know, the way you reacted to it. And, and just in my mind, I was just saying to myself, <clears throat> he's hurt, hurt bad. I've got to help him. But if I do, I'll lose the man I love. Forever. Thanks for listening to Welcome to Level 7. You've heard us, now we'd love to hear from you. Go to welcometolevel7.com slash feedback where you can contact us through our website. You can also leave us a voicemail by calling one seventy seven fifty five level 7 you can also join the lively conversation going on at facebook.com slash welcome to level seven or connect with us on Twitter where we're level seven pod. And remember, the seven is spelled out. 
Our theme music is The Light Fantastic by J.S. Earls, and you can find that at transplant.bandcamp.com. Welcome to Level 7 is a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Learn how to podcast, get productive in your personal and professional life, theorize over TV shows, laugh with our clean comedy, delve into science fiction and philosophy, learn critical thinking from movie reviews, and more at noodle.mx. Once again, thanks for listening, and remember, welcome to Level 7. It's not just a podcast. It's a magical place. All right, Daniel. So we've got something we're going to play right now from your visit to a museum. Is that correct? in the field, man. Field report from Daniel Butcher. So here it comes. And then after that, we'll be done. So yeah, let's, let's roll the tape. Can we do that? Well, you've got the tape, so I hope so. Okay. It's rolling. And now. All right. Ben can cut cut this out. Agent Daniel here in the field. I'm not at the hub. I'm in Baltimore, Maryland, and I found a surprise. Who are you, sir? Tell me about yourself and where I'm at. Well, right now you are at the Jefferson Entertainment Museum here in Baltimore, Maryland. We're a comic book museum. Well, I guess pop culture museum, but we have some of the best comic collection you're going to see. By the way, my name is Zach. Hi, I'm the, Zach. I'm the retail sales manager here. So, but no, this uh, the museum was founded by Steve Jeppy, who, if any of you out there are comic fans, you get your books from Diamond. Steve is the gentleman that owns Diamond. He's the one that gets your comic books to your store, and he's from Baltimore. He's been around. He's uh, been a Baltimore born and bred. He is partial owner of the Baltimore Orioles. For those who aren't sure, that's the baseball team. And he used to... For some, there is doubt. Yes. And then he was also a partial owner when the Ravens came in. And again, for those of you not sports heavy, that's the football team here in Baltimore. And he uh, was owner of both of them. And he started this museum. It's actually, it's going to go, I think, eight years this September. And he decided he wanted to go ahead and create something cool that wasn't around anywhere else. So he took ninety. He took his collection, which is what ninety percent of the stuff you see in the museum is, and he went ahead and put it up on display. We have stuff like Action Comics number one and Detective Twenty Seven. I know that's from another company we don't talk about. They are distinguished, though. They are distinguished, but there is Amazing Fantasy Fifteen, the first appearance of Spider Man, Tales of Suspense Thirty Nine, the first appearance of Iron Man. There is uh, Fantastic Four number one's in there. Amazing Spider Man number one is in there. Ghost Rider number one is buried within the collection. So there's a whole bunch of cool stuff as far as the collection goes. Also, one of my favorites is we have one of the original. I think it was like the half issues that Wizard World did or Wizard did for the Ultimate Spider-Man from the relaunch uh, that Brian Michael Bendis did. So there's all that cool stuff in there. And then we focus on everything pop culture from the rise of the rise of Marvel in the 60s and 70s. And we kind of do a good job to highlight everything we can pop culture wise. Very nice. Now, there's something going on here currently that fans of the Marvel Cinematic Universe might be excited about, even if they're not comic book fans. That is true. What we have going on right now, until right now, it's supposed to be up in August. But as of right now, we're running an exhibit based on Steve Epping. He's the artist responsible for creating the Winter Soldier and being involved with the Winter Soldier uh, comic book, as well as Captain America comic books for as long as you can remember. But he's known for basically being involved with uh, Ed Brubaker with the relaunch from about 10 years ago with Captain America 1. And we have a bunch of his art on display, including one of the coolest things ever. And when we were able to get this, I was so excited. We have the entire 
panel by panel by panel page of issue 11, the actual story of the Winter Soldier. And we have all of his artwork there. We have a couple of cool signed posters from um, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, including a signed Winter Soldier poster by Steve Epping, and just all sorts of cool stuff. The coolest thing, though, is if you get a chance and you're an action figure collector, we have one of the Disney Store specials of the Winter Soldier in display. It's from the actual Winter Soldier arc with the character design and everything done by Epping. Again, very sweet. So if you find yourself in Baltimore, uh, definitely a place to find. I'll be honest, I had a break earlier today, mm-hmm. noticed a sign, stumbled all over, and as you saw when I came in, I was all smiles. A little geeky. It is a little geeky. We're, we're, everyone here is a geek of some sort of fashion. We all read comics. We get new books in the same way everyone else does. So we're always reading them, telling people what to read, making suggestions. And, you know, sometimes we do look like a hot mess, but that's just because we are comic fans, and that's kind of what we all tend to be at times. So there you go, agents. If you're in the field and you're near Baltimore, oh, excuse me, Orioles Field, did I say it right? Camden Orioles. Yards. Well, it, isn't it Orioles Field at Camden Yards? No, hey, if you're next to Camden Yards, there you go. are going to find this just gem of a museum where you're going to totally geek out and stare at some old Marvel stuff and be like, hey, I'm going to send a text to Agent Ben right now. And he's going to be like, hey, where are you? And I'm going to be like, not telling until now. <laughs> All right. Thank you. No problem, man. i to make sure it. Oh, see, I'm not our tech guy. I like to say I'm talent. I understand that. I, I'm the same way that the guy I was working